I don't mind being directed when it's someone that accepts me the way I am. I think that's one of the powers of the 12-step model is the acceptance of where we are in transit, but also the suggestion that you may want to put a piece of wood in front of your tire when you're stuck in the snow, you know, because you may not have thought of that. And thanks for the helpful hint. It's okay to get help. And it's okay to have a loving relationship with a higher power that has that kind of acceptance embodied in it. But don't let anyone push anything down your throat. I'd say a lot of people that see me don't even know, I mean now, <laughs> cats out of the bed, that I have very strong spiritual beliefs. I'm not extremely religious, but I have incredibly strong spiritual beliefs. Because I don't want to have to figure these things all out by myself. I don't mind having help. How about you? Is it that important to do it yourself? And stay with your wheels spinning in the snow? It's your right to do. I want you to think about something that's a real obstacle to shifting directions when you've been spinning your wheels. And that is the issue of forgiveness. The F word. <laughs> some of you were at a talk I gave at MPC uh, some time ago. And those of you that know me know that you never know what to expect. And I came in, and I was really spunky that night. And I looked at the crowd, and I said, Tonight we're going to talk about the F word. And there's this little girl there with, you know, about six years old. And her mother looked at her and thought, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> What's this crazy man going to do? And I got up and I said, F, and I won't spell the rest of it because I'm not that good to spell it, forgiveness. And there's this big sigh of relief. You know? And then right on the heels of the relief, was a clenching with many people. Because you know what forgiveness has been for most people? A whitewashed job. When you've been sexually assaulted, when you've been physically abused, when you've been emotionally abused in the process of growing up or in, in the present, and someone says, you need to forgive them. Now, right now, forgive them. What that translates to is, pretend it never happened. Tell that to the kid inside that's stuck in the middle of that abuse. And the kid says, kids are real articulate, you know? Because the kid says, it did happen. And somehow forgiveness means that it was okay. That somehow either you have to forget about it or pretend it was all right because they didn't mean it. When you're beaten by a rubber hose, you don't really care if they mean it or not. The welts have no respect for whether the person meant it or not, do they? When you've been sexually abused, that kid that's still stuck in that time frame doesn't really care whether the parent meant it or not or the adult meant it or not. They just know they were violated. 
And by George, if you try to whitewash that, you're going to have a heck of a rebellion. Rightfully so. Forgiveness does not mean that it was okay. Either something that you did or something that someone else did to you. It doesn't mean that you have to forget about it. Because if you forget about it, you've got to learn it all over again. What forgiveness means is letting go of holding on. That's all it means. Letting go of holding on. I'd like for you to try to give a clap for this wonderful speaker with your fists clenched. Come on. Let's hear an applause. Come on. Let's hear it. You cheated. You opened your hands. You let go of holding on, didn't you? (laughs) Now let's try to really, really hold on. Look what you did to me. Come on. Look what. Hold on. Get that blood out of your fists. Look what you did to me. Come on. Let's hear it. (laughs) Everyone went away. You can't make a noise and have fists at the same time. You can't change in the present if you're holding on to the past. It's like saying to yourself, I don't want this to happen again, so I'm going to hold on to it to prevent that. In the meantime, it prevents you from making different choices in the present that prevents it from happening. It actually prevents the growth that protects you. The concept of forgiveness must be understood accurately or else it can be a terrible weapon. If you aren't able to share your story before you forgive, you're in trouble. It's like, you know, you start to tell your story, the person says, oh, forgive them. You're in a heap of hurt. You're in a real problem. Forgiveness simply means I choose to do something differently. For myself, I chose, I made a commitment that I would never turn my back on the wounded kids inside of me. No one, no one would come between me and my kids inside. That's a commitment that protects me from my codependency. If the issue is chemical dependency, forgiveness says, yes, I blew it when the two-year-old drove the bus. No question about it. I did tremendous damage, lost jobs, hurt people I loved. I can forgive me because I'm choosing to supervise that two-year-old very closely in the present. The change of mind is what allows the forgiveness. It's not that it's a perfect change. Remember, we're not going to get a perfect stroke before we get in the water. But the commitment is absolute. The commitment to the change is absolute. The implementation is very imperfect. Two steps forward, one step back, 
three forward, four back, two forward, one back. But over time, by celebrating each small step forward and by learning from the steps backward, you make progress on the road into recovery from whatever issue that you're recovering from. New program is extremely simple and very, very difficult. Because most of us make it difficult by trying to do it perfectly. I love this. I won't embarrass my niece by pointing her out. She's the one that did the drawings. The reaction compass is a way of beginning to understand how you relate to yourself and others. New program, like I said, is a relational process. CPR, Cognitive Perceptual Reconstruction, is a relational process of learning how to relate differently to yourself, learning how to think differently. Recovery skills training course that we're implementing at MPC is learning how to be more accurate, learning skills to shift from surviving into living. It takes skill building to make those kinds of shifts. And one of those issues has to do with which quadrant on your compass you're coming out of. You have a positive feeling about yourself, a negative feeling about others. What do you end up getting? Aggressiveness. You try to, to uh, find that in my notes here. You tend to have a feeling of self-righteousness. I'm okay, you're not. Remember, how many of you watched Saturday Night Live? The old Saturday Night when Chevy Chase was on it? You know, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. I'm cool and you're not. That's the kind of aggressiveness, self-righteousness that comes when you say that you're okay and the other people aren't. And there's usually a lot of anger that goes with that quadrant. Other people make the conclusion that I lived with for much of my life, I'm not okay, myself is a negative, other people are all right. So I want to get more like them. I want to get them to like me. And there's a tendency for passivity, a lot of self-consciousness, depression, and anxiety tend to come from that kind of position. And you can understand why. Frustration. Down on self, down on the other person. You're so busy defending, you're so busy wrestling with fault and blame that all that's left is despair. Frustration says, I'm not okay and you're not okay. We all are yucca together, but you're just a little more yucca than I am. You know, from Animal Farm, all animals are equal, some are more equal than others. We struggle to come out on top with both of our not okayness in frustration. And there's this radical notion that I care about me and I care about you. You have value, I have value. That's the mutual respect and valuing. That's the new program quadrant or position. Out of that comes powerful vulnerability. And out of powerful vulnerability comes serenity, a sense of peacefulness. <clears throat> what do I mean by powerful vulnerability? I think it's a concept 
that is at the heart of new program. It comes out of accepting myself where I am. I put on the vest of acceptance. You can see the vest, the bulletproof vest that the character is wearing. That bulletproof vest says, I accept that I am where I am at this moment. I may not like it, but I am where I am. You are where you are at this moment. What we often find on the unit, on the CD unit, when we're uh, Wednesday night, I do a, uh, I'm not sure what you'd call it, a discussion group. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it. It's fun. And we, we'll talk about different issues of recovery. And oftentimes you'll find that people are entering back into wounded relationships. And the person that came in with the chemical problem as they enter into recovery, into sobriety, the other partner is packed full of resentment and anger. Any of you ever notice that? When you finally turn around to start heading the right direction, the other person just wants to kill you. You know, they want to rip your lips off for what you did when you were using. And wait a minute, you don't understand, I'm not using anymore. Yeah, but you used to. <laughs> you know? Ah, sorry. One of the things that I try to share with folks that are in that position is to put on the vest of acceptance. So when the partner is angry at things that you've done, you accept it. You say, yeah, you know, you're right. I was a jerk. I did some really hurtful things, and I feel badly about that, and I don't blame you for being angry. You have every right to be angry for as long as you need to be angry. I'm not willing to jeopardize my sobriety. I'm not going to be a punching bag for you. But if you're willing to do it in small enough chunks, I'm willing to hear all of the frustration and pent-up anger that you have. But it needs to be in small enough doses that it doesn't endanger my sobriety. Because nothing, for someone with chemical dependency, nothing is more important than your sobriety. Nothing. Because without that, you don't have anything. You see? So nothing can be more important than that. But you accept where you have been. And what that does is it takes the lead out of the bullets. If someone shoots at you and there's lead in the bullets and those bullets hit you, you're dead, right? I mean, would you agree with that? If I take a gun and I shoot you and there's lead in those bullets, what happens? You're dead if I'm a good aim. At this range, I'd probably get you, right? But let's say for a moment that somehow you could take the lead out of the bullets. Any of you hear a gun with blanks before? It's kind of obnoxious, isn't it? It's an obnoxious sound, but it's not lethal. What you need to understand is that when you take the lead out of the bullets, it's still obnoxious. It's irritating, but it's not going to kill you. So part of powerful vulnerability is putting on that vest of acceptance. The other part is holding out that lantern of openness and curiosity that says, I want to learn more about me, and I want to learn more about you. 
And part of learning about you right now may be understanding your anger at things that I've done. But that's a part of who you are right now. I hope it won't continue forever. But it's where you are right now. I accept that's where you are. Try to fight that. Try to fight acceptance. It's real difficult. It's absolutely the most powerful interpersonal position you can hold is that of acceptance, both toward self and toward the other person. So when you're dealing with a person, I'm going to flish, I'm going to flish. <laughs> I'm going to flash. <laughs> Not streak, but flash. These one at a time. And what I want you to do as I do that is I want you to pay attention inside to which one feels most familiar. I don't want you to do it with your head. I want you to listen to the voice inside for a moment. Notice which one feels most familiar. Take a moment to get into anger and aggressiveness. Is that a common feeling for you? Is that a habit that feels pretty familiar? These aren't bad or good. Remember, we're just wanting to accurately look at where we are in transit, where we are at this moment. How about passiveness? Another term for that is learned helplessness, the feeling that you have no real power to impact your environment. Often with that goes the depression and the anxiety and the self-consciousness. Take a moment and try that on. Does that feel real familiar to you? Does that feel like a comfortable shoe? Not that you like it, but that it's familiar. Or is this one more familiar? Notice the look on that face. Isn't that priceless? Try that on. Do you spend a lot of time defending and counterattacking, making excuses, and finally feeling like you're getting nowhere? Is that a common feeling? Getting nowhere fast. Try it on. Notice if it feels familiar. Does this feel familiar? Valuing yourself, valuing the other person, taking the lead out of the anger, out of the bullets that come your way, holding out that lantern of openness, having that vest of acceptance on. So when someone says, you know, Jim, you blew it several times in the talk, you can say, oh, really? Where? Put that lantern out. And look and learn and advance on that path of recovery. How many of you spend some time in this quadrant? 
Isn't it addictive? Isn't it really, truly addictive? In the best sense of the word? I love spending time in this quadrant because it makes more room in me. It makes me feel whole. If you're not familiar with this quadrant, where the conclusion is, I love me and I love and value the other person too, then which one was familiar? And notice what decisions went with that position. Is the violation that you feel that other people are yucca, or is the decision that you're yucca, or is it kind of equal opportunity and you're both yucca? Okay? There's a lot of equal opportunity folks out there. Get something yucca and pass it on. All right? Now, my feeling is that once you make the decision of what gets you into the position you don't like, you can begin the radical notion of changing your mind. The fact is, much of life has to do with decisions. For example, when you're feeling scared. Any of you ever felt scared? That's the first order feeling, fear. The second order feeling is your reaction to the first feeling. So I may feel afraid. I'm always a little nervous before I start a talk. I would be more nervous if I wasn't nervous because then I know it would be real flat. Because at some point, the nervousness turns into energy and the energy into excitement and things go on. But if I'm afraid of my fear, then I will have panic. Panic is a second order feeling. It's the panic about losing control. It's the panic about being afraid. Some people get angry about being afraid. Some people get afraid about being angry. What is your favorite feeling? And what decisions in terms of the reaction compass tend to go with that feeling? And then how do you feel about that feeling? The second order feeling is often much more powerful than the first. I don't believe a person can really create good anxiety, I mean, just a good panic, without second-order feeling. It's getting scared about getting scared that creates the panic. You know what happens? Fear doesn't kill you. Did you know that? It's just uncomfortable. When I think about coming up here and talking, do you think I feel comfortable? No. My stomach kind of gets in a knot, and I got to get a lot of hugs from people that care about me. And then I kind of bolster myself up, have my arm around myself, get myself up in that quadrant where I can respect myself no matter how it turns out. 
and then I can let go and let it happen. When you're afraid of being uncomfortable, you will stay in the quadrant that's most familiar. Because like I said before, change is unnatural. It's absolutely unnatural. And the only way you're going to do it is by allowing yourself to be uncomfortable in that process. Now, how is it you know what you're feeling? How many of you are aware? I'm going to take a moment of silence during which I want you to listen to the commentator inside your head. That voice, some people call it a thought, some people actually can hear it as a voice. And I want you to notice what your commentator is saying to yourself at this moment. Take a moment and listen. Listen to the tone. Listen to the attitude that the commentator has. Does it sound like Howard Cosell, that kind of obnoxious grating? Is it nurturing? What tone of voice do you use on yourself in the process of change? Is it loving and supportive? Is it encouraging? Does it convey an attitude of belief that you can do it? Or is it demanding perfection? Is it invalidating anything short of perfection? You need to begin to be aware of your commentator. That's another essential element in the process of change. Not just the words that are being said in your head, but the tone and the attitude that goes with it, the assumptions that are being conveyed that you have to pass this test in order to be lovable. I will love myself when I do A, B, or C. Does the commentator have kind of a subtle kind of invalidation that goes, oh, six A's and a, and a, and a B, huh? Well, tell me about the B. Never quite good enough. The commentator, even though it seems to be often very dysfunctional, it's often very punitive and, and, and invalidating, had a purpose at one time in your life. The commentator said to you, this is what to expect in this environment. The commentator would warn you before you'd get in trouble, you see. It had a value. The difficulty is that it tended to take on the caricature of the environment, of that reflection in the mirror of your environment. It's not that your parents necessarily talk to you in that kind of way. But as a little kid, you distort. It's like I mentioned in the first talk about Jesse feeling like garbage, my eight-year-old feeling like garbage if he didn't get enough approval. The fact is he gets a lot of approval and a lot of love, but the fact is he didn't know it at that moment. And developmentally, he's not old enough yet to give himself that kind of validation. He's in the process of gaining that skill. How about you? Are you old enough, developmentally, to begin giving yourself 
your own nurturing validation that accepts you where you are at this moment and believes in your ability to move forward. It's not a passive thing at all. It says, Jim, I know you can do it. While I was busy flunking out of everything in elementary school, I had a mother that was too stupid to know that I was dumb. You know? She believed in me. You know? She would say to me, I'd give, I used to write these short stories, you know? Every word would be misspelled. <laughs> you know? She, I don't think she could even read them. But she'd look at it and she'd give me a big hug and say, That's great. I love it. I'd go away feeling pretty good. I'd write another story. You know? It's nice to have someone that believes in you. Wouldn't it be nice if that was you? Always available? On 24-hour call? Never more than a footstep away from you? It takes a decision. It takes a decision. That's all it takes. And yet that's all it takes. It's huge and it's simple at the same time. You need to follow the principles of new program, the accuracy, the willingness to be imperfect, the willingness to reach out to the wounded parts of yourself, the willingness to, to build that relationship of valuing and respecting yourself and others. To forgive yourself for past by changing your mind in the present. The present is the only place that you can make change. New program is about the present. It's not about archaeology. This may sound confusing to some folks because in CPR, Cognitive Perceptual Reconstruction, we do a lot of inner child work with adults. Often people say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's my childhood, that's way back then. Why do I want to deal with that? Because it's in the present. Those bubbles are with you in the present. The feelings lead you to those parts of self in the present. That's what I care about, because only in the present can change take place. And it can't take place if you're holding on to the past. When you're busy raging at yourself or resenting others for past things, it prevents you from having both hands in the present open to nurture the journey forward. If your internal voice, your commentator, is very overpowering, it may be difficult to immediately shift from that to a nurturing voice. If you find that your commentator is very harsh and powerful, I would suggest you take an intermediate step. And that's turn the voice into Donald Duck. You know, or Mickey Mouse. Chew yourself, listen in your voice inside for a moment, and really rag at yourself 
and sound like Mickey Mouse. Or Pluto. Yep, yep, you're really dumb. Yep, yep, you know. Yep. It's hard to take it seriously. It takes the power out of the commentator. It really does. It's just that most people don't know what's possible. That's the biggest limitation to change, is we don't know that we can do the things we can do. You may not have known that you can take that harsh commentator that's been keeping you feeling chronically anxious and depressed or needing to medicate it with chemicals or distracting it with the other addictions, and you can turn it into Pluto. And from Pluto into a nurturing, respectful voice. Take a moment to feel what it's like. If you can make the shift directly into a nurturing voice, that's great. That's wonderful. If you can't, go for Mickey Mouse. Go for Donald Duck. Go for Betty Boop. Go for you know whoever you can hear and let that commentator use that voice. The goal, however, is to get to the point that you can use a loving, respectful, nurturing tone. Because what you're wanting to do is put your arm around yourself on the journey into recovery. That's how recovery takes place. You cannot beat yourself into recovery. You cannot force yourself into recovery. You can, you can force yourself into abstinence, chemical abstinence. You can force yourself into abstinence and some of the other addictions. But you cannot force yourself into recovery. You cannot hate yourself into recovery. It's not possible. So take a moment and feel what it's like to use a loving, respectful tone and attitude towards yourself. And then as you go through the week, notice what it's like to periodically stop and listen. Begin to listen to the voice. Because we often say, well, there is no voice. I don't hear anything. Because that which is obnoxious, we tend to ignore. There was a movie I saw one time where these two guys were wanting to escape and they had to go through a crowded airport. And they were trying to figure out how to get past all the guards without being seen. You know what they did? They put on these masks that weren't that good a mask, but they were real obnoxious. People ignore that which is obnoxious. You tune it out, but it still has an impact. The commentator that's very harsh and hurtful still has an impact, even if you're not consciously aware of that impact. You have the freedom to get directions to the lottery ticket. You have freedom to get a map to get to Cleveland. But without the map, do you really have the freedom to get there? If you have to do it on your own, is that really freedom? To me, that's a lack of choice, not freedom. The next two weeks, I'm going to be talking a lot about ways that we make recovery more difficult. I think you need to know that so you have a choice. <laughs> the fact is, some people do choose to make recovery more difficult. Not because they want it to be more difficult, but they don't believe that 
they can get guidance. They have to do it themselves. Or they try to use a club on themselves. So next week we're going to talk about some of the roadblocks or the ways of making recovery more difficult. And the last week we're going to be talking about recovering relationships, both within ourselves, with other people, and in terms of higher powers. I'd like to ask Bob, uh, Dr. Morgan uh, was going to say a couple of words. Um, you ready to do that now? Okay. Um, thank you very much, and I hope uh, we can get a little more comfortable seats next week. Bye-bye. And that concludes Exploring New Program, A Blueprint for Recovery. Thank you.